Hello and welcome to The Natural Evolution, produced by Rebel Health Tribe, a radio show focused on providing you with inspiration, education, and tools for true healing and transformation. I'm Michael, and I'll be your guide on this adventure as together we explore the very nature of the healing journey. And here we are live with another episode with Dr. Keisha Ewers. Dr. Keisha, thank you so much for being here. Uh, It's my delight to be here with you. Yeah, this is one that I've really been looking forward to. Keisha is one of my best friends in the health world, and I always get really excited when we get to connect. So a lot of you from our audience will know her. She's been involved with several of our masterclass and other offerings. For those who don't, uh, Dr. Keisha is, as I said before we went on air, the most voracious consumer of education that I know, and I know a lot of people that do a lot of education, so that's pretty bold in saying something. Uh, I'll run through a little bio here so you can get to know her, and then we're going to jump right into talking about her story. So Dr. Keisha is an integrative medicine expert, doctor of sexology, family practice, ARNP, which is nurse practitioner, psychotherapist, herbalist, is board certified in functional medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, and is the founder and medical director of the Academy for Integrative Medicine Health Coach Certification Program. She's been in the medical field for over 30 years, and after conducting the HURT study in 2013, which is Healing Unresolved Trauma, she developed the HURT model for understanding how past childhood trauma impacts adult health. This led to the creation of the You Unbroken online program for patients to heal their own trauma, and the Mystic Medicine Deep Immersion Healing Retreats she leads at her home on San Juan Island in Washington, which is gorgeous there if you've never been to the area. Dr. Keisha is a popular speaker, including at Harvard and from the TEDx stage and the best-selling author of Solving the Autoimmune Puzzle, The Woman's Guide to Reclaiming Emotional Freedom and Vibrant Health, The Quick and Easy Autoimmune Paleo Cookbook, and your libido story, a workbook for women who want to find, fix, and free their sexual desire. You can listen to her Mystic Medicine radio show and her programs at drkeisha.com. We'll have all kinds of links and things to social media and websites down below and in the show notes, so you'll be able to find everything there. So I hope I didn't miss anything. I'm sure I did. I'm sure there's things not included in there, but that sums it up. Oh, and she's also in a master's program right now in Buddhist studies as a part-time hobby. So, um, that is, that's gotta be the most strangely perfect combination of educational things that I've seen in one list. A certified conscious death doula too. Oh yeah. That actually came up in, um, another conversation I was having, um, with someone for the podcast who lives in Perth, Western Australia. And there's an organization there of death doulas that they call death walkers. And he was telling me about it. And I said, I know one of those. And so I was going to introduce the two of you. So we'll, we'll do that another time for those listening. That's Eddie's episode, Eddie Enever, uh, in this season, check it out. Um, he's in Perth, Western Australia has uh, three times survived cancer. Mm. So let's get into it. Um, I'd like to know you started as a nurse. So can you just give a brief how those things all fit together or the order in which they happened. And so yeah. we'll, we'll cover that. And then we'll talk about your own health crisis and, and healing and what you've observed of the healing journey. Well, actually, when we were still off air and you said, Keisha, who has to know everything, right? And, and it's really interesting because I always used to say, if someone came to my office and stumped the chump, then the chump would go back and figure it out, like learn. Right. Yeah. So when I was 19, I was an associate degree RN registered nurse and did like 
10 years of intensive care unit and balloon pump and thrust, you know, like all the ICU stuff, right? Loved it, ER, ICU. And I was a real high adrenaline junkie kind of person. Had four kids, was raising them. And then at 30, I got sick with rheumatoid arthritis. And my model of medicine didn't have anything for that. You know, it was, it was like methotrexate, right? Yeah, it's here's some drugs to hopefully slow the progression of this disease. And when you get worse, come back. And mm -hmm. so that statement, when you get worse, come back, that was one of those moments of there must be something else to know that I don't know right now. Right. And so it's sort of like the call of life to know more than right. What you have right here and what Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, right. Find a mentor. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I went into PubMed and I found yoga, <laughs> the research articles for yoga and autoimmune disease and wound up diving into yoga and becoming a yoga teacher and Ayurvedic medicine and Ayurvedic medicine said, oh, by the way, autoimmune disease is undigested anger. So kind of sitting back and going, wait, you have to digest your feelings and your emotions and your experiences. Like that's not a terminology that we have in our culture that you actually digest these things. And so and that was that moment of, okay, there's more here. Wait, wait, there's more, you know, like digesting feelings, emotions, memories, and, and, oh, and if I don't, this is what happens. I get sick, you know, my body gets sick. So it was the first time that this idea of the mind body separation that we put forth in our culture stopped mm -hmm. and, and it collapsed on each other. Right. So that's how Ayurveda came into the lexicon and started, you know, I started really practicing that. And then, uh, functional medicine learned about functional medicine, and, but I had, I had decided uh, when I was able to reverse my rheumatoid arthritis that I needed to go back to school and help other people do that too. And I didn't have a licensure for that. So that's when I got back and went back and got my nurse practitioner license. I was like, I would really like to be able to do this with people. Yeah. So I'd done a lot of hospice and that kind of stuff along the way, ICU, death and dying. So I was always very interested in like this peaceful life, peaceful death, conscious life, conscious death that was being introduced to me by people that were dying well as opposed to the ones dying in a great deal of pain. So they were all teaching me like, oh my mm -hmm. gosh, you know? And so uh, then- Anyone I know who's worked hospice has told me how rewarding of an experience it's uh, been. And Mira, it's, my wife worked hospice nurse for a while too when she first got out of school. Yeah, and it's, it's like, it's the conversations that you have with people no longer are masked. Like there's mm -hmm. nothing that- it's just all removed, you know, it's so beautiful. And so that taught me another thing, like, oh, this, these masks we wear, right? And so we're working in the world of psychology, but I don't know that. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm in this, this medical area. You I just don't know, know you're having interesting conversations with Yeah, patients. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and then functional medicine came on the scene for me. And I was like, oh, this is Ayurveda in English, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Not, Kind of, I mean, not really, but it is kind of. And I thought, gosh, this might be more accessible because I would have patients come to me every once in a while. And like an image that's behind me of Saraswati would be very scary to a Christian mm -hmm. who would think that this was like me trying to, you know, enforce some kind of religious construct on them and not understanding um, this archetypes and symbolism. So I thought, oh, functional medicine will be- Trade that for bit. a white coat. Yeah, right? Yeah. So we like the white coats here. 
<laughs> we do. Yeah. We do. They have authority. Yeah. So, so I let go of my white coat and the symbolism, you know, learn functional medicine. And then, um, and then started into private practice. I probably hadn't been in private practice more than three months, I think. And someone came in with gastroesophageal reflux disease. Now Ayurveda and functional medicine and Western medicine, right? They're going to have a different take on that. But in my nursing training, it would be, here's some Prilosec, mm-hmm. right? My other parts were like, oh, what are, what, what are you anxious about? And I started realizing I can't separate those two things out. I've got to go back to school and learn therapy styles and techniques and learn how to be a psychotherapist. You know? To handle the what, what are you anxious about part. Yeah, like mm-hmm. give tools, right? And so then the, the next 20 years of training was all that stuff energy and therapy and and then doing my own work along the way i mean because for heaven's sakes the reason that i had ra was because of my own unresolved trauma you know so i wound up getting a phd because i wanted to find out like gosh all these women that are coming to see me for low libido when i ask them very simple questions like i know you want bioidentical hormones i'm happy to give them to you but do you like your partner you know? Yeah. Tears. So I I looked in the medical literature and there's nothing to reflect what I'm seeing. Like these stories of trauma affecting everything. Right. And, and people still at that higher level, like wanting hormones, wanting something to fix it right away. But when I'm asking these questions, like, well, when's the last time you had a libido level you were happy with tears, you know? And, and so I don't feel seen. I don't feel connected to you. I've never had a libido level. Well, you know that estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone aren't going to fix that, right? Like, that's not what this is about. This is about something deeper. So, so I did a study called the Healing Unresolved Trauma Study because I started seeing that unresolved trauma was such a huge piece of all of it. And it was for me too. Like, rheumatoid arthritis pops up. Hello. You know, you, you haven't dealt with the sexual abuse from, from your 10 year old version of you. Like you haven't, this is, this is it right here. The anger that you're supposed to be digesting that you haven't even felt that you don't give yourself permission to feel that you haven't even realized you have to feel like that that's now turned on you. Mm. Okay. You know, let's go, let's do this. So, so it's like, to me, instead of having to know everything, it's like doors drop down in front of me and there's a, if they're closed and there's light gleaming (laughs) and you can see like, oh, if you go through that door, things will be eliminated, right? You're going to get, you're going to get this thing that's lurking over here in the shadow out into the light. And then, so each door, I'm always really excited to open up and go through. Oh, so yeah, this master's of divinity program, you know, in, in, uh, in Tibetan Buddhist studies, I started looking around and I thought, Western psychology, I've studied a great deal. And the people that seem to have the most awareness, awake awareness of the mind and are able to observe it with a really great method, you know, methodical like a system structure to it that stabilizes it, not have it just be glimpses and flashes, the Tibetan Buddhists. And so I, this door drops down in front of me with light around it. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, let's, let's learn what the geishis 
you know, they, they spend 20 years, right. Studying the mind. That's all they're doing is studying mm -hmm. the mind. Um, let's learn how they do it. Like what's their structure? Because I get these flashes and visions and, and sprinklings and glimpses, but it's not stabilized, you know, for continuity. Ah, let's go learn that. That would be neat if it could just be stable all the time. Right. Yeah. So and how long have you been in that program for? I'm in my second semester. Four years? Eight semesters. Oh, that's a that's an extensive <laughs> master's program. It's, it's an extensive learning. There's a yeah, lot. Yeah. 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 Cool. It sounds fun. I'm definitely interested. So I'll keep mm -hmm. tabs as you go along the way. Yeah. Um, and then we're also together uh, going through a, a program at Luminous Awareness Institute, which I never really know how to describe to anybody, but that's a two-year training that encompasses the basic entry point level information around some Tibetan Buddhist practices and meditations, but also psychology and neuroscience and energy and attachment, theory. attachment work and trauma mm -hmm. information. And it's, yeah, I, I never... I still haven't mastered the the two you sentence just did it. elevator. Is that kind of work? Yeah. Okay. I sometimes yeah. say like wizard school, but then people think I'm pretentious. So <laughs> uh, we've been in that together uh, for almost, I mean, we're a year and a half now all the yeah. way through that. And um, yeah, that all makes sense. I, I kind of have followed a similar, not similar, exact the same types of education, but for me, it's the same kind of thing. Like it's I learned this because of that. And then this happens. So I learned that. So right. then this happens. So I go there and then, you know, I've gone from fitness to nutrition, to functional medicine, to deeper work because my life has required it. Right. Like from superficial to deeper level, uh, healing and, and understanding mm -hmm. to where you can't exercise people out of, uh, trauma and emotional pain that's causing their physical disease. Like it's, so I've gradually, begrudgingly usually have to drag myself kicking and screaming further down that rabbit hole uh, until I get to the next place. Then I'm like, Oh, this is nice. I shouldn't have been scared of this, yeah. but um, I can, I can relate to the the never ending doors that seem to need to be opened to until you die. I mean, I, I, honestly, what else I, should we do? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I think this is what, I don't know, maybe, you know, in Tibetan Buddhism, they talk about seeds of karma that have been planted, maybe mm. even in other lifetimes, right? And that mm. they're, they're popping as you go. And you just never know, like what, what just happened, if that's, if that's something that has been set up for your whole life. It's kind of how I feel right now, learning this lore, you know, of, wow, these guys really, I was right, they do have this down, you know, and it's just amazingly yeah. detailed and complicated, you know? Amazing what you can figure out when you don't do anything else for yeah. 60 years of a study lifetime other than sit mind. and study your own mind and, mm -hmm. and the mind itself. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you head over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit. That's K-I-T. And grab the RHT starter kit, which includes a sampler of four free videos from our professional masterclasses and webinars, the RHT healthy sleep guide, the Wellness Vault coupon book, which will save you money on all of our favorite health-related tools and resources, a professional product guide, and a coupon for 15% off your first order in our shop. That's rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit, K-I-T, and you'll get all that delivered right away. Also, if you're on Facebook, we've got a fun, engaging, and supportive group over there as well with thousands of health seekers just like yourself. Just search for Rebel Health Tribe and you'll find us. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show.
what I've learned now, I have a very rudimentary understanding of like modern psychology, slightly older psychology, cutting edge, like the whole range of mm -hmm. psychology, but then also some Buddhist philosophy and study and some Taoist and some, and I always laugh. It's the same thing in, in medicine too. Like when, when conventional medicine quote, figures something out and there's like this big announcement and the functional right. medicine people have been talking about it for 20 years. It's like that on steroids, like modern psychology is like, did you know that this, this, and this, and then there's Buddhists like, man, we wrote that like 2,200 years ago. Yeah. And then it's probably funny for like, look at the, look at the Westerners catching up. Oh, they just <laughs> discovered this thing. Oh, wow. And we probably have it wrong anyway, but um, it's fun to watch the crossover. And what a lot of people don't realize is most modern, like mindfulness practices that are really popular in the West now or like styles of meditation or a lot of psychology, like modalities, like therapy modalities, a lot of these things actually have roots in Buddhism and Taoism and those lines it's of thinking. It's a really interesting thing that happens though. And, and it, um, I heard, um, a practitioner call it one time. He's a, he was a Sanskrit, he's a, he is a Sanskrit scholar in uh, non-dual tantric Shaivism. Uh, his name is Christopher Wallace. And he talks about these things called near enemies to truth. And and it is fascinating now that I'm in deeply into like the Abhidharma and what's how the mind actually does its things, you know, and, and there's so many, like they talk about six minds, not one mind, you know, and, and it's it, like 51 minds on top of this other kind of mind is it's so big, the map, it's so big. And there, there's this thing where we take something and I know they, they did this with like uh, medications too. What's what's the active ingredient in an mm. herb and then extract that. So they take away the synergistic stuff that yeah. goes with the herb and then synthesize that. And then we find out that, Oh, that doesn't actually work like that in the body, the way we want it to. That's kind of what we do. We extract what we think is going to help us the best, but we're not changing the value system in which we're rooted. And so it's real interesting because mindfulness practices actually don't resemble too much of what they originally were teaching. And it's the same with yoga, you know, like mm -hmm. yoga now. Yeah. <laughs> yoga here in Berkeley is not yoga in right. India or even yeah. India. Yoga in India now is probably not yoga in India. Well, and there's so many different lineages and mm -hmm. ways and, you know, but, it, but the, the spiritual aspect of it, it, it that we would label spiritual is actually just like, the the land the air the water this you know that's that's breathed and inhaled and and lived in and the morphogenetic field that you know this is this is born from and into actually has a different emphasis like it's not about material wealth so if if i'm using mindfulness so i can reduce my anxiety because my job is making me crazy but i have my job because you know what i mean so you just sort of like that's not really Buddhist practices. And so it's, it's really quite fascinating as I'm diving into this, of just going, Oh, wow. Like we don't even realize, you know, the, the morphogenetic information we're passing in the field with each other, as we are exposed to these different things, you know, how we change them. So anyway, it's just quite fascinating to me. Well, let's do another entire podcast on that. And then, because <laughs> I'd love to, and we're going to have different seasons on here. So there's going to be different areas of focus where this one is all about the healing journey and stories of that yeah. nature. So let's 
let's have another conversation about that because I would love to talk for an hour purely about that. Mm -hmm. Today, I'd like to chat. You mentioned in your your educational journey, uh, there was a blip of rheumatoid arthritis in there. Yeah, there's a big blip, more than a blip. Yeah, and um, as a lot of our audience knows, my wife has, I don't want to, never been formally diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis because her rheumatoid factor is always negative, but she's had three rather significant autoimmune flares in the last three and a half, four years that involve excruciating full body joint pain and has been diagnosed with, I believe they called it remittent something, something rheumatism. Basically your joints hurt and we don't know why here, take these drugs Uh, and lupus. And she has Raynaud's now that developed after the last flare that stuck around, but everything else we've got under control, no pain for seven months. Uh, Everything's going pretty well, but the Raynaud's has stuck around. So she has to wear gloves when we walk the dog in the morning and anytime there's any chilly weather. But I now know what it's like firsthand to be around rheumatoid arthritis and, and pretty severe joint pain in an individual. And it's, it's nasty stuff. And as the partner, it's, terrifying and hopeless. Like you can't do anything. Like I can't, I can't help. I can't make it go away. I can't solve it. And she has gone down. I'm not going to talk about personal details about her, but her own work that she's been doing has gone from this level of depth to this level of depth with the next flare to this level of depth with the next flare. And it's kind of, okay. Okay. I hear you. Okay. And, um, it's forced both of us down a journey that neither of us probably would have chosen without the pain behind it. And for that, I'm grateful, but I don't want to minimize when I say a blip of rheumatoid arthritis, Mm -hmm. like that's a scary diagnosis. And for Mm -hmm. most people, they're led to believe that this is just how my life is going to be. Right. Where did the symptoms come? Oh, your grandfather, had my grandfather had it. So then when I was asked if I had a family history, then it's like, okay, this is genetic here's your mm. prescription. Right. And, and we'll hang on just a second. Is there anything mm-hmm. else? Nope. Did you just start having pain? Like you were working yeah. as a nurse and then you so just started having pain. I was actually, I, I ran a lot of marathons in those days and I was training for a marathon and it was just this quickly. And this is how a lot of people will describe it too. That now I work with mainly people with autoimmunity at this point. And, you know, they'll, they'll say, all of a sudden I'm sick. I, 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 that's how I experienced it too, where I'm training for a marathon. The next day we're supposed to go to Disney world. Um, and the whole family, you know, suitcases are packed. Every, everything's on go, you know, in the hallway waiting. And then that morning when I woke up, I was flattened and it was just overnight, literally overnight. Like I had had plantar fasciitis and knee pains and things like that, that I could take some Advil and move on through, Mm -hmm. which I did, (laughs) of course. And, and this, when I woke up, everything was just, I had gained 10 pounds of puff all over my joints. And they were, you know, I had red and flame. My hands were gnarled. I mean, it was like overnight. And it was also a sensation of sort of having myself unplugged from power. I, I was used to feeling very, very vital. And, you know, hopping out of bed in the morning, going for a long run, getting back, getting the kids ready, you know, just really, I was a type A kind of, my friends called me an energizer bunny. Mm. And it was like someone had taken the batteries out. Like my experience was flattened, exhausted, deflated, excruciating pain. 
when I woke up and I thought, what is going on? You know? And so obviously we didn't go on our trip. I got in to see a doctor and then I was diagnosed after some blood draws and, you know, and the, the history of my grandfather having this and he was wheelchair bound for some years in his life with it. Mm-hmm. So I was on my way home from that appointment, just instantly saying my model of medicine doesn't have an answer for me. And my, I always think about this, like you hear people say this, like you have to find a why mine was my kids. I was such a dynamic mother and the, the person behind the wheel, when I was contemplating all this was not going to be that. Yeah. So, so my experience was of despair, hopelessness, powerlessness, and also I have to figure this out. Like my kids are, they're not going to get this. They're not going to understand when I go from this to this, you know, how old was your youngest at the time? Uh, my youngest was a baby. Um, yeah, she was one. Yeah. Yeah, And you can't explain that to a child. No. No, no. And they'll pick up on it too. Now that I know what I know, like that will be picked up on. Yeah. And I was, you know, uh, I I was a perfectionist. I was a people pleaser. Like I could put my kids there and go, oh, I'm not going to be able to be a perfect mom. I'm not going to be able to please them. And that got me through the door into the next region where I had to heal that stuff too. Yeah, isn't but the it, type A people pleaser kind of the yeah. autoimmune personality type? Oh, yeah. I yeah. say it's four Ps. Pitta in the Ayurvedic dosha spectrum, holding on to poison from past pain, people pleasing and perfectionism. Like those four Ps are usually present with autoimmunity. And, you know, women have 80% of the autoimmune diseases out mm-hmm. there. And so for me, it was like, okay, that got me into let's seek a door to go through was that part. And that was the perfectionism that drove me to that. So I hid the experience from my family as much as I could because of my people pleasing perfectionism. Like you but didn't want them to be worried or scared. I didn't or want them to be worried. Take scared. care of you. Or, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then learned quickly enough because that would have also made me sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker to do that. To suppress the. To suppress all yeah, of it. To uh, to to keep my family from it, to not ask for support, to not ask for help, like those things, those, I would have gotten sicker and sicker doing that. But what it did is it just got me to that place where I could start seeking. Like, okay. So then, then I found Ayurvedic medicine pretty quickly. And the undigested anger part was the doorway. Like, okay, here it is. That's a primary, that's a primary teaching in Ayurvedic medicine. Well, it was a primary one for me that stood out. Yeah, that's the one that said, hey, ding. the page. <laughs> yeah. Repressed anger. So that then probably led you on a little investigation of yeah. where am I angry? Why am I angry? What anger? Actually, you know? what I did further was I, I looked at the word autoimmune and I thought that means I'm killing myself. Auto means me against me. There's no winner. So when did I first want to die and why am I killing myself? Those were really important in in because the anger felt like it was because of something else. And I could feel like my body attacking itself that, wow, what is this epic battle about? Why am I killing myself? Why am I turning on me and committing suicide? You know, like that's how I felt about it. I got it really, really clearly. 
And so that's the question that I ask. Why, when did I first want to die because I don't want to right now? And that is the one that led me to that 10-year-old little kid who was being sexually abused by the vice principal of my elementary school. Then I went, oh, okay, this has to be connected. This has to be connected because she wanted to die bad off this planet, gone. And was learning to talk to angels and was like staying in other planes of existence and realms and things like that because of the horror of what was going on. And so that I knew that she had to get healed. Like that was, that was the one in there that was just like in a rage, you know, a rage that nobody would listen to her and including me you know, and my perfectionistic run marathons, be a perfect mom that like, she wasn't hearing from me either. So I really got, I was like, Oh, okay. Right. And so that RA was gone in six months because that work got done right away. Like I really understood, okay, I've abandoned myself. Right. It's the Uh same exact thing. Like I felt abandoned at the age of 10. I'm abandoning myself right now. I dropped in and I stopped being outward facing and caring for everybody else. I mean, I still did that, but I let my attention draw in and down and started working really quickly and nurturing and healing and doing that work, that really deep work. I have two. uh, Can I ask you a question about that experience? Yeah. Did you tell anyone? I did. So, but I did it in my 10 year old little way. So that, so I was, my dad was in the Navy mm-hmm. and we, we lived in Japan for a lot of years. I was raised with no television. I read books like congratulations. Nancy Drew. Yeah. Nancy. Now you Drew. know what the gift that was. Yeah. Lord of the Rings, you know, yeah. like those books don't contain the word sex, mm-hmm. molestation, abuse. I didn't have those words available to me. And so the, the vice principal was saying it was because I was in an all black school. I was like one of two white girls. And where was this? It was in Florida. Okay. And in Key West, Florida. And, um, he was saying it was because I was white trash and I was bad. So when I would say something, I would say like, mom, I don't want to go to school. And she would say, why? Cause I'd always loved school. And I say, because, and, and I was sort of like, and I remember trying to tell her I'd started my period when I was 14, same thing, mom, I started my period. Like I, I didn't really know how to come out and enunciate what was going on. I don't think I had the words available to me. So I would cry, I'd have headaches. I didn't want to go to school. I never said the precise action that was happening. You know, the people are mean, right? Yeah, the, the people are mean. So things like that. That's pretty vague, and a parent it's wouldn't so really know vague. what that means. Yeah. yeah. And I remember one time getting up the courage on the playground to go up to the playground duty teacher and tell her, like, he he's mean. You know, <laughs> she's like, get back out there and play. Yeah. You know, and so it's, it's like, I didn't have the right words and I couldn't. And I was so petrified because, um, I, I believed like I was doing something wrong. 
There must oh, yeah. be something that I'm doing wrong here, which is where my perfectionism was born. Like I have to be perfect to survive here. Well, I think it's very uh, overlooked by adults um, how easy it is to psychologically manipulate children. <sighs> Like, like to convince, you know, that they're the victim. Like I see adults do it to adults, Mm -hmm. but to do it to a child is, is, is too easy. Like it's, especially for someone, I'm sure that that was not the first time that that happened with him with a girl. And so um, they can almost sense that too. Like who's gonna, who can I get away with this with, or who doesn't have the words or who isn't going to be able to Mm -hmm. tell. And And what I've learned a lot in Gabor's um, training is that with the trauma, it's not necessarily what happened, although it can be what happened as well, like that contributes, but it's what didn't happen around validation and support and protection and understanding and caring and, and all these things and being seen and being, you know, saved and protected. And whether a child doesn't tell anyone or they tell someone and they don't get believed or they don't tell them in the correct way and it doesn't get across or whatever it is, that's almost uniform. Whereas if, if something traumatic happens to it, like uniform in people who eventually have, you know, PTSD and traumatic results and things. Whereas if something traumatic happens to like a school bus full of kids, some of them end up like that. And some of them don't because the ones who don't were right away, like, protected, validated, sheltered, loved, cared for, like, and I'm not knocking your, your folks. They had no idea what was going on. No, my dad was out to see. My mom was like shut down in her own way. So that little girl was totally alone with this thing and nobody knew. And right. um, And it only happened like probably three or four times in the year. Right. But every time the intercom would go off to say the pledge of allegiance in the morning, I would go straight back into the fight, flight, yeah. freeze, right? I'd yeah, freeze yeah. and terror, like, cause the crackling of the intercom meant I could get called to the office, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, I even think about it a little different thing than uh, Gabor Mate is so amazing in, in that, that missing element that didn't happen. But in the, the healing unresolved trauma study that I did, what I found from and put in this model is what happened doesn't matter it does, but it doesn't matter as much as the meaning you attach to it. That you were white trash and bad. And yeah. And the behavior that gets then tagged to it. Right. That's why when someone's an emotional eater, you can't just say, stop eating, love yourself. You actually have to go back and find the place where food became a refuge. Mm -hmm. And in that spot, what was the belief system that was created because of the meaning to, and it could have been like, this is where people get a little derailed too. It doesn't need to be sexual abuse. You know, I've done therapy on people who their biggest yeah. trauma was getting hand-me-down clothing and they never yeah. got it. They, in their perception is, is they never got anything new. So they were not worthy. Or what we'd consider like pretty mild emotional neglect or like parents who aren't fully present or a parent who's stressed yeah. out all the well, time. What I just described like- is not even neglect. No, 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 no. Right? I just mean like something you would look at now as yeah. as a observer and be like, oh, that's fine. That's every kid's thing. Right. But it's it's it doesn't it's have the to biggest be thing to big you. T trauma. It can exactly. Be a, yeah. So so it doesn't even matter. So when then you become an adult and you hear horrifying stories, you go, oh, thank goodness that never happened to me. I had a great childhood. Mm-hmm. But there are so all of us have trauma in those places where 
there were moments that we made up meanings, attached mm. behaviors to them to be yeah. adaptive strategies that may not be working for us in adulthood, you know? Yeah. 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 He, he jokes that if somebody starts out with him by saying, I had a great childhood yeah, or a I, perfect childhood, he goes, I know a lot of places I can ask questions then because they're going to probably fit the same pattern that yeah. it's like a red, either I don't remember my childhood or I had a great childhood or both red. I don't flags, remember so. is amazingly big red flag. Mm -hmm. And I had a great one is too. It's like, Oh, sweetie, you know, <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad. And let's start yeah, investigating yeah. down this road then. Right. So how did you know? Uh, so you, you went into the Ayurveda and you, you read about the, the undigested anger and you, you found out when was the first time you wanted to die. And you went back to your 10 year old little girl how did you know what to do there? Like, did you work with the therapist or did you study did. anything? Like, how did you, you, you told the therapist like, Hey, this is my situation and I want to yeah. work on this. Yep. I okay. said, Ooh, this is a whole big mess of Pandora box that I just opened and I need to get some help. And I call it now when I give lectures, you know, I'll say, sometimes you need to borrow a brain, yeah. you know? And, and that moment was me knowing I have to go borrow a brain, like a the brain, brain who's not involved in the process. And I have a graphic in my book where I, I have a dog chasing its tail mm. and of a brain chasing its spinal cord because I, I'm like the mind chases its tail, T-A-L-E. Mm. So your story, the one that your mind created, then you're asking it to fix it. It doesn't work. Like yeah. the same mind that creates the belief can't fix it. Mm. So you have to go borrow a brain out here that's trained to see patterns right and be yeah. able to get in there and go oh so here how about this you know and invite you to a different way it's really important in those times to have that so yeah that's that's, that's great that you had that because understanding it i figured out a lot of my stuff like that like yeah psychoanalyzed myself for years mm -hmm. and i didn't know that i didn't know what to do i thought just figuring it all out was the thing Right. Like, oh, I do this thing all the time. And now I understand why I do this. So I can just stop. Right. Except I wouldn't stop. And then there would be even more shame attached to it or more guilt attached to it because I know why it happens. I can see the whole pattern, yet I'm powerless to stop doing it versus being totally oblivious and unconscious to it. Like there's no shame there. Like it's you don't even realize it's happening. And it's not until I've started studying a lot of this stuff that I realized that getting it and that first aha that you had where this is the thing. That's yeah. just the first step. I have to heal and, this attachment to this little girl mm -hmm. that I don't have myself. Because she's I had, still there mumbling to someone. And yeah, that someone is. is you. Yeah. Wanting yeah. to be heard. And if and they if, don't get if heard. If I don't tune into her, then the adult me is going to be walking around looking for relationships that are perfectly <laughs> designed not to be able to connect to her. You know, because that's what we do. So if you have whatever your attachment style is, right, you're going to find the people that are going to hit that button for you so mm -hmm. that you can learn how to, you know, heal the wound. But you don't realize that's what's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's that's exactly what was happening. And you can kind of at some point in your life, you can get to be old enough where you can look backwards and see the the litter behind you and go, oh, every time there's litter i'm there <laughs> every time there's upset i'm there maybe mm, maybe it's not so much about these people out here right maybe there's something here yeah. and so that's the first time that i really started going oh the mind needs to observe the mind right 
oh, you know, and we don't even have language for that. No, no, there's concepts now that I'm starting to experience that I don't know how to, tra- like, I don't, yeah, I don't know how to verbalize it yet. And, and a lot of it taught, like, one of the problems learning things like Tibetan Buddhism is they teach it from their right. language and their culture and their way of living to people who also are from their culture, their language and their way of living. I heard it. I don't know, it might have been from you, but I heard a story from someone that the first time the Dalai Lama came to the United States and met a bunch of Americans, he said, I can't teach these people. It was because Annalisa. they're like, was it? They're too traumatized, story, they're too damaged, Annalisa they're too, it, yep. like, they're just coming from a place that I don't even understand, Right. like, to, to see where to start, because I've read books, I have a couple classic Tibetan Buddhist texts over there on the shelf, and I start reading them, and I'm like, I don't know what the hell this is talking about, but if they could just show me what it was talking about, I would get it, so um, the language barrier is tough, and then, so six months were you on meds? Did you start taking medications right away to get that under control? Or did you go I through didn't like, do any medication. No? so six mm-hmm. months though of stress related focus, probably you stopped running marathons and, I did. Um, I couldn't run them and working on the, working on the little girl and the anger and everything. Six and months later, realizing you in, that my sugar addiction, you know, also had to do with this because my, I would get home from school and my mom would have a freshly baked dessert there. And that was my refuge. Right. So, so learning that, Oh, I don't need that anymore. And cutting out sugar and gluten and dairy and all these things that I was Mm -hmm. running marathons to keep my weight under control because I was addicted to those things. I was a complete addict, you know, of trying to fill this Mm -hmm. hole that was perceived. Right. Yeah. And so when I started really making those connections and they were fast and furious, I was like, oh, that, yep, yep. And the, the thing that you're talking about when you figure it out, it's your adult brain doing it. But this one back here, right, that fires the signal in the first place mm-hmm. comes from the reptilian brain. Overrides like, it every time. <laughs> well, and, and it's why you can't just figure it out, mm-hmm. right? Like that deep healing and nourishing has to start coming in. And so as I was doing that, then I was less like, this took about five years for that, that food piece to finally clear. Completely. Like the craving and the signal and the want mm-hmm. and the Where initial I could say, yeah. you know, oh, that's actually rat poison. You know, that, that's rat poison for me. And I could really get that. Like in my genetics, gluten is, is rat poison. It's so, I'm so intolerant. And I had to go through some, you know, like, I feel better, but maybe a little bit will be okay, you know, and do this. I call it the detox retox yep. roller coaster. I'm and pretty so, familiar with it. Yeah. So doing that took a, took a lot longer than six months, but I was yeah. able to reverse what was going on systemically mm-hmm. as I was doing this work. So and then you had another pretty significant health crisis, didn't you? I did. So yeah. 10 years after that, um, my son came to me, my 18 year old son, who's now 30. Um, he said, mom, I need to let you know something. And, and I said, this sounds serious. And he said, it is. And we sat down at the dining room table and he said, see, you let you know that his, his older brother, Cameron, Cameron and I, uh, he said the babysitter's name, but I'm not going to say, but, um, the kid down the street that I used to leave my kids to play with every once in a while to go to the grocery store had sexually abused them. And I, <laughs> oh my God. Of all of them? No, the two and maybe my daughter. Um, 
she doesn't have a recollection of it. And and what the boys say is that also was twice and you know, and it was like I, they did, my, my oldest son has Asperger's and he said, mom, I don't want him to come back. And I said, did anything happen? And I think the intensity of did something happen, put him into an Aspergerian Mm -hmm. kind of fugue. And he said, I just don't want him around. And I said, okay. And then I went and I called the kid's mom, who was a good friend of mine. And I said, I think something happened here. And can I talk to and then she got really angry with me. And so yeah. I shelved it and just didn't have him come back. So I, I, I watched them, you know, I asked like the younger one who was talking to me at the time, but he was too little too, mm-hmm. you know? And so then he said, yes, something did happen when he was 18. And I just like lost it, you know? And I said, how come you didn't tell me, you know, how come when I was asking, you didn't tell me. And he, he just said, I didn't know that anything was wrong. I just didn't feel comfortable, which is what is so interesting, right? Because this was a 12 year old boy with my younger boys and it wasn't like adult child. He wasn't preying on them. No, it's like, like older child, younger child. doctor kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. I have a good friend who was like sexually assaulted as a younger child by an older child yeah. and has been through a lot of work on it now. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, I just like said, okay. And I, I found, I tracked him down. I found him, called him up. He said, oh, I've been waiting for this call. And this is yours for 15 years, you know? And, and, um, I you, just, you called the babysitter. Mm, yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I found him. <laughs> Wow. Oh yeah. <laughs> what was that between those two events, between being told what happened and between talking to him? Uh what was that like for you? Like what were the emotions instant, there? Like, instant rage, like instant yeah. rage, grief, shame, despair that I had let my children down. I hadn't protected them. Mm-hmm. I went into like this instant action. I mean, I the he talked to me. I had found him within two hours. Oh, like, wow. Oh, yeah. No, I. Oh, so this him. wasn't an extensive period of time. Did no, you talk no, no, to him no. that day? Did you call him? Oh, that yes. Day? Oh, wow. oh, yes. <laughs> okay. So there was yeah. no let's go outside and take 10 breaths. There was no a, I'm finding him. I found him. I'm calling him now. Yeah. Yeah. And and I called his mom and I and I left a message on the machine. Remember that conversation? Something did happen. I need him now. I need to find him. And she actually yeah, gave me his number. So it was like, dun, dun, dun. and he said, you know, I've been waiting for this call. And, and I said, I just have a few questions. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't in a rage at him. I was like, very, very, I'm an ICU nurse. So, you know, it was like mm-hmm. calm and handled it like, and so I, you know, he told me what had happened, like what the experience was from his end, why, and I said, okay, that makes sense. That happens. I, I see that. And I'm going to ask you to take like some responsibility here and help pay for therapy, which we did. I even facilitated like this whole forgiveness process between my kids and him. It was amazing. Like it was this most amazing whole thing that happened. And then four months later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. You were 30 when you got rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis, right? Yeah. 
I was 40. I was in my early 40s, so okay. 40, 42, something in there. All right. So <laughs> what had happened is I had managed to make, you know, like everything okay out here, mm-hmm. make sure the kids were in therapy, they were getting what they needed. Okay and for them. Then I went into a rage about my own experience, about my parents, mm-hmm. because what I realized was, oh, that's how it can be. Oh, you can actually say something and have a parent show up. Whose rage was that? Oh my gosh, my little kid self, right? So so what I did was I wrote a poison letter to my parents, which is never a good idea, everybody. Never do that. But it was like this angry dump, right? And I I had a um, a hiking buddy and she was my best friend. And I I told her, I was telling her about it, you know, Mm -hmm. and she actually called my parents and warned them that this was coming, <laughs> which oh, wow. was a really good move. <laughs> preemptive. Preemptive. Yeah. She like got kind of a little preemptive. She's about shielding. to drop bombs on your house. Heads she's, up. Just, yeah. she's just sending like, just know she's going through this thing and mm. you know, like you're just, so you'd already done the work with the little one when you did, mm-hmm. when you did your rheumatoid arthritis work. Mm-hmm. So the deal between you and her, was on Healed. pretty good terms. Right. And then she saw this happen. And uh-huh. so then she was, was mad like, at the what adults. the hell? Why didn't this happen for exactly. me? Who wasn't responsible for me? And exactly. Yeah. And in the intervening years, like here's my son at 18 telling me years mm-hmm. later, and I went into action. I had told my parents as an adult and got nothing, not even an I'm sorry, you know, like nothing. And so so I was just like, which is never a good plan, never a good plan. Yeah. And so luckily, because Jan had warned them, they were ready. And my dad said, I'm flying out there because I was and I said, no, you don't need to do that, dad. And he said, I'm coming. And I said, well, I'm packing a backpack right now, like, a, a, you know, a 75 pound backpack to go into the back country. So I can go out and howl at the moon and rage and and hit the ground and cry and sob and be under the stars and and get into the earth. And I said, that's what I need right now. And he said, I'm coming then. I said, all right, you, you're going to need to be like able to hear everything that comes out of me because I'm in a rage in case you didn't notice. (laughs) So he's like, I'm coming. It was the first time. The first time, and I I would say that you can still heal without your parents showing up in this way, but it was remarkable. And for the very first time in my entire life, my mother apologized to me for something too. And, you know, it really changed our relationship. It was remarkable. My dad came out, he did, he hiked into the backcountry with me and tells the story later. I mean, he died about a month ago, but he would tell the story. Yeah, 150 pounds I had on my back, you know, like we, and we laughed and we cried and I was able to do what I said I needed to do. So I got the cancer diagnosis. And when I saw the blood supply to this tumor and the ultrasound, I said, I know what that's from. Like it was this vibrant, healthy tumor with this blood supply that was feeding it. It was just beautiful in my left breast, right over my heart. It was so obvious. It was just like, here you are. It was labeled self-loathing, shame, you know, like it was just there and I could just see it. Like it was glittering with all of the hate I felt toward myself. 
like glittering with it. I could see it running through all the vessels that were feeding it. It's like, oh God, okay, I know what this is from. And, you know, I was able to forgive all, you know, him and, and the kids were on their track and I had done nothing to forgive myself. My baby on the hip, opening the glass door, the sliding glass door, the kids are jumping on the trampoline with him and me saying, you know what, would you like to just stay with them and play? Well, I take her to the grocery store and then I'll, you know, you guys can like witnessing that woman from that perspective, right. And going, that was just lazy. You didn't want to grab your kids, take them into the car, go to the store. You saw a way out. So I hate that woman. I hate that woman. Yeah. Right. And so that was like the hardest thing in my entire life I've ever had to do was to stop hating that woman, to look at her and go, oh, sweetheart, you know, you were operating off of the skill level you had in that moment. You didn't know that he was going to do that. Like you, I had to forgive her and it took a long time. And I was with a group at the time I was doing clinical hypnotherapy. It was in a two-year internship. And it just happened to be right then that I had to take that into. And the partner that was working with me um, on this, when I came back from my hypnotherapy and I was, you know, I, I'd finally, finally forgiven myself. She was crying. She was, she was sobbing. And I said, what's happening? And she goes, the fact that you showed up for your children right in this way because I was just sobbing I had these teddy bears all four of them these teddy bears and I was sobbing I'm so sorry I didn't protect you you know I'm so sorry I didn't protect you and I was just crying and she she was like I had this happen to me and my parents still haven't acknowledged it like if you could only see right that your kids are so lucky to have you to care for them and to, you know, like you, the minute you found out, like you went into action, she said, that doesn't happen, Keisha, you know, you, and so the, that was, that was like another doorway. I was able to go, Oh, okay. You know, and it got me closer to forgiving myself. That's where borrowing the brain is huge too, because um, we tend to believe the story that's the worst about ourselves. So you'll focus on the, I screwed this up and put my kids with a abuser and this happened to them. And I didn't know. And I I was so damn lazy and and all these things. Right. And you had just done this rather remarkable thing for them from an objective standpoint. I've never heard of something like that being handled like that, especially with like a a forgiveness facilitation and those type of things like that's incredibly healthy for your sons to go through that process like which is what they say that today that exists yeah i'm sure they do and yeah but that story doesn't get through like i have i've had many people try to convince me of many stories about myself that right. i will fight to the death that there's no way that that's true i'm this shitty thing over here i'm right. not that thing that you say because i did that one shitty thing that one time so these six and i'm seeing her matter. tears right yeah, yeah. i'm lying down and she's sitting up and I'm, I'm looking up at her tears as she's sobbing yeah and saying i would give anything to have you as a mother mm. you know and she's like 60 years old and and she's like i wish i would have had half the mother that you are you know and and i was like oh you know, and so 
I, I re- she, she kind of like also made me see this thing that you're doing is actually kind of the self-flagellation for mm-hmm. pleasure. Like mm-hmm. you're not letting yourself off the hook is actually bringing you something. What is it? Right. Yeah. You're dying right now, literally dying. You're killing yourself. So, oh, that's it. I don't want to have to face all this shame. I don't want to have to own the shame. I don't want to have to live in the shame. I don't want to have to have the shame visible. I'd rather die. Oh. And so then that actually helped open up like, okay. Yeah. So did you do any kind of treatment for that? Yeah. I mean, all for the, the cancer. No, it went away. It just went away. It went away. You did the I, emotional work. And the... the next time I went back, cause I was already eating clean. I was already yeah. doing all of these things. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I knew, and I, and when I tell this story, I'm always very careful because, you know, I don't want people to think like, Oh my, <laughs> she's saying, you can just think away cancer. Yeah, I mean, or it's my fault. I have cancer. Or it's my or, fault. I have yeah. cancer or rheumatoid arthritis or any of those mm-hmm. things. Like when I tell these stories and I always say, listen, th- this happened to be labeled. I could see it on the ultrasound. Like it, it was like, that's what this is. You know, we all have our own reasons that our bodies do what they do. That of messages that we're trying to get. I got my message. I'd had, I, I had a pathway of understanding that my body will talk to me through RA. So it was pretty fast, like, oh, I see you. And and that has to go because if I don't, and I always say now, like resentment is the most toxic chemical on the planet. And, you know, I had so much resentment towards my younger self, resented her. And so, you know, nowadays we can talk about in my family, like all of this stuff and even have joy around it. You know, like I can. It's amazing Mm -hmm. because, you know, we can go, oh, that was the pathway towards this bit of wisdom. And my kids can too. Like, oh, that's the pathway towards this bit of wisdom. Thank goodness that that happened. Right. But that's not an overnight. That's not an overnight thing. No. And I've learned that when I'm in it, because I've been in it a few times in the last few years, we've been through some hellacious stuff that people well-meaning people and very educated people and very experienced people who really care about me a lot have said things along the lines of there's a lesson in this or you're going to come through this or you're going to I wanted to I wanted every one of them to die like Mm. I don't want to hear it when I'm in it like I don't even want to hear it for myself and even after it's been a few times and I knew that I've come through it I went in it again I've come through it the third time I was like, you're going to come through this and some, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there was even parts of me that were like, shut the hell up me. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be out of this right now. I don't want to be going through this. I don't want this to happen. I don't want mm-hmm. hard things to have to happen for me to, why can't I just not suck right? so that I can just get better without some sort of cancer or disease or pain or suffering or depression or whatever it is. And um, I, I want to, I just want to get across that it's not, easy to go through these things it's and not straight line it's not either. clear like it's not like oh mm-hmm. this really sucks right now but i'm gonna be awesome soon mm-hmm. like there isn't that um 2020 right and so when you're in it you're in it and and it doesn't become awesome with a lesson at the end unless you're willing for that to mm-hmm. happen too because yeah, you can yeah. keep repeating it over and over oh, again yeah. you know for by sure. being unwilling so that's one thing that 
I always feel really grateful to all of the stages of myself that I've always been super willing to like investigate what's going on in the mind. Like I've always been before I knew those kinds of things to say, like, and to touch the pain, like those are significant pain. Yeah. Those are, I mean, there's nothing more hardcore than shame. And to drop into it and go, well, Mm -hmm. hello there, you know, like, all right, here I am, you know, what do you need from me right now? And like, I've always had that always. Mm. And that I feel really grateful about that. Like, so I can go to all my little versions of myself and go, you know what, if you've got that, then you've got this, you know, like, this is going to be how it's going to go. And this is the life you have. And just be willing always to say, what do you have here for me? And mm-hmm. what can I, how can I be supportive of you? You know? Yeah. And, and I, and that's including all of the, including, especially the one that is like the one that's the murderer inside of you. You're like, Oh, how can I support you? What do you, you know? Everybody has one. Don't act like you don't. Yeah. Like <laughs> I love her. I'm just like, Oh, murderess. There you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one who came out when you heard from your son. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she, oh my God, she was a psychopathic killer. You know, yeah. it was just like, mm-hmm. and to be able to actually see her and see like, oh, that's in you. You didn't even know that, you know, mm-hmm. um, hello, right? And and to be able to start working with her later, you know, it's just like, okay, and and love her. So that's like all the crazy, all the crazy. Thank you for sharing all of that. I know a lot of that is um, a sensitive subject. And I know you've talked about it a lot and you're very open. And I've learned in talking about really difficult things that the more I talk about them, the easier it is to talk about them to the point where people get the misconception that it's like easy or that that was easy for me or that there wasn't a point in my life where I would break down if I started talking about the same thing. And um, oh, I broke down when I was telling it, when I brought my head and I was talking yeah, yeah. about the woman that I hated so badly. It was just like, yeah. oh, I felt I, I can like, I weep when I feel the hatred that I was energetically pouring onto her head, you know, yeah. like I, I, oh God, so much. Yeah. I wanted to kill her and I was, I had cancer, Yeah, you know, I was literally killing her. And, and I'm glad you didn't. Mm-hmm, me too. And uh, I'm sure she's glad about that as well. Yeah. And uh, you now work predominantly with women with autoimmune conditions, probably not exclusively women, but since mm-hmm. most autoimmune conditions are women, um, your patient base is probably mostly women with autoimmune conditions. Um, we're told most autoimmune conditions are, you're told that this is what you have now. And this is going to get progressively worse. Um, And some, I mean, there's some doozies in there that are much more challenging to slow down and reverse things like MS. And I mean, Terry Walls, we're going to be discussing in in this season as well, her recovery and reversal of MS. And like, there are possibilities there, but some of them are beasts of conditions and some are a little bit easier to deal with. But I think across the board, the official medical diagnosis of any autoimmune condition is that you have this now and then you're going to forever have this and we can give you drugs that might slow the progression of this or lessen your symptoms or put you in less pain. Um, and when they don't work anymore, come back and we'll give you something stronger or better or more aggressive. 
and that's it. And then they get this diagnosis and then that's crushing on a number of levels and that's it. That's, that's the route. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to leave the conversation with a little message of what you've seen and what you've experienced and what you've witnessed over the years of working with autoimmune individuals quite a bit and the autoimmune with yourself, just, you know, somebody who recently started developing some symptoms or has had them a long time and didn't realize what was going on and finally got a diagnosis or whatever it is. And they're, and they're scared and the doctor told them this and they don't know what to do or where to start. I'm sure you get people in your office that are in that exact position. Mm -hmm. What do you lead with? What's the, what's the first thing you'd like to, to say to them? And I know everybody's different, but I'm sure there's a, uh, I have them read my book, solving the autoimmune puzzle, because it kind of steps them through very gently into a place of, Oh, I see there are so many pieces to this puzzle and I am unique. Not everyone's the same. So what happened with Terry and what happened with mm-hmm. me isn't going to be the same for, you know, mm-hmm. everyone else listening that there are some, like I call them the corner pieces of the puzzle, that actually are all needing to be addressed at the same time, not one at a time, but at the same time. And, you know, that is genetics. It is your gut health. It is your level of toxic burden and it is your trauma and everyone has it, you know, and that those four are interplaying with each other, like the past trauma piece and how you're dealing with your stress today is influencing how your genetics are expressing themselves, you know? So I could get RA back within six months. I'm pretty sure if I were, yeah, I'm sure if you tried. I could, I have it in my genes, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you jumped your stress levels up, started running marathons, eating a bunch of gluten and sugar and maybe getting really angry, you know, like fight with your family. Yeah, exactly. Creating drama. Mm -hmm. So, or, or just letting the drama impact me, not creating it, but letting it impact me. Right. So all of those things, they all interplay with one another. And that's, everyone is always looking for the one thing. And it is one thing, like it is this feather that finally makes the scale tip, but there was a whole bunch of stuff on that scale already. Mm -hmm. And so really kind of stop trying to find that one thing and really drop in and understand that this entire system here, when you have, and and it can take 10 to 30 years to develop an autoimmune disease. So most of the people that are listening to us are working on one and don't know it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I've talked to uh, Dr. Karazian in one of his presentations in our masterclass. So that at uh, Cyrex, where he's partnered with the labs, they've done long-term reoccurring tests on people. And he said in their research, they found antibodies like 25 years before anyone developed an autoimmune condition, yeah. a diagnosable autoimmune a diagnosis, condition. right? Mm-hmm. So like when people have the Raynaud's piece, they don't really mm-hmm. understand that's autoimmune usually yeah. or eczema or rosacea, you know, mm-hmm. but this is actually autoimmune. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's really saying, oh, my body is trying to give me information. It's not betraying me. My mm-hmm. body's not betraying me. It's not shutting down. It's not trying to kill me. You know, it's actually trying to give me information. And so if I turn toward it, instead of being combative with it, you know, turn toward it as a collaborator and say, oh, you know what? I put you to bed every night, hopefully for at least eight hours, and you never get the rest that I get ever. Heart never stops. Lungs never stop. You know, lymphatic system, liver, it's all doing its work at night, right? You never get a rest. And you've gone along all these years with no gratitude from me. 
no appreciation. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And so now you've had to turn it way up to get my attention. And instead of feeling frustrated and angry and how do I get out of pain as quickly as possible? What if I turn toward you and say, oh, what can I do to be supportive? What's going on? And, and that's where a bunch of functional medicine testing happens and all this stuff, mm. because you're trying to get the data from your body to find out the answer to that question. How can I be of support mm -hmm. to you? You've hauled me around all these years, right? Yeah. Without appreciation. I've never heard that vantage point before regarding sleep. The body doesn't sleep. It doesn't. Well, it sleeps, but it's still doing things. And some parts of it are doing more things yeah. when, you, when you're sleeping. We, we get the break. The body keeps going. That's right. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. And one day when I realized that, I thought, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I don't treat you better. You know, and, and it has its own consciousness. And when you start really living in that reality instead of my body should, and there's another thing is like, we have this idea about this optimal performance of the human body, but whoever said it's supposed to do that, you know, it's like, we're so entitled. So you have a disease that's like normal deterioration of a human body. That's normal. So why do you get so angry at it? Like turn toward it love it, ask it questions, get data from it and really be in a place of, oh, hi, right? I see that this shame that I'm running from is actually tearing you apart. <laughs> okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the resentment that mm. I have about yeah. something from however many years ago, you know, is actually running in my veins and causing mm toxicity in me yeah. you know there's real physiological reactions to that there is. and yeah there is. people don't realize how much how much science there actually is too like i've taken a dive down a lot of that now too and the neurotransmitters and the hormones and the right. cytokines and the in the nervous system and the everything every single thing in your body every one of those systems which controls how everything functions and how you feel and how you experience your your yeah. existence every single one of those things reacts to your perceptions and your experience and your Only emotions. Only your, your perceptions. And yeah. that's the thing is, so then the first thing that I would say is like, really examine your expectations of your body. If it's mm. hurting, why do you have an expectation that it shouldn't hurt? That's one of, that's like having an expectation that your car doesn't send you a yeah. signal when it's on E, yeah. you know, it's get where you don't have your seatbelt on. Like it's the same exact thing. We have this amazing, amazing organism that we run around in, in our consciousness, right? And if it sends its little flashing light that it's low on something, then we get mad or we take coffee to make sure that it's, you know, it's not tired in the morning or we drink wine to make sure we can go to sleep at night and relax. Yeah. Like those kinds of things are sugar in the gas tank yeah. for some bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's important to ask your body, like, why is the E going off? Right. Yeah. What, Instead, what we it? just turn off the blinker. Yeah, we put duct tape over it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like... yeah. There's a comedian that says and we get mad. I, um, I don't remember which comedian. I always forget who it was. So I, I apologize, artist. But they said in our culture, uh, the two drugs that are legal, accepted and glorified. There's really three to uh, like nicotine, tobacco is one, but is our alcohol and caffeine. And they right. they encourage you to drink caffeine so that you can do the work you don't want to do and get through the day that you hate. And right. then they give you the alcohol on the nights and the weekends so you can get blacked Numb out, it. forget about the things that you hate doing. 
so that you're and then in the morning you feel crappy so they give you the caffeine and then without he said without a solid supply of caffeine and alcohol this entire society would collapse that's exactly right i don't think he's wrong right (laughs) i think there's a lot of a lot of truth in that and we we use those things instead of looking at like why do i feel like hell or why am i in pain and and not even the you know it's like why do you have an expectation that you won't feel pain Mm -hmm. like we're entitled why do you have an expectation that your body doesn't do this thing that it's Mm -hmm. doing like any amount of discomfort it's like personally offensive to exactly (laughs) exactly (laughs) why is nobody carrying me around on a cloud (laughs) and fanning me and feeding me grapes and so that's so that that's like getting into really recognizing and confronting death and deterioration and saying Mm -hmm. this is actually change your expectation because that's going to happen you will die yeah and this body will deteriorate if you're lucky enough to live that long you yeah, know, yeah. and so then with that being said, then ask it lots of questions and support it as much as you can, you know, and don't get mad at it. It's doing a bang up job for you. You know, yeah. if most people don't even understand like one hundredth of one percent of the things that yeah. their body is doing for them at all right. times. And the more I learn in that field, the more I realize I don't understand. Yeah. And then like even our most advanced science doesn't understand. This is like the most complex organism in the universe and we get to drive around in it. Right. Which is pretty sweet. It's an amazing (laughs) gift and blessing. It's like, wow. And that's another thing that Tibetan Buddhists say is that this is a precious human birth. Don't squander it with Mm -hmm. like resentment and anger and, you know, like really have compassion for all of the parts right? Mm-hmm. Even the ones that are angry and are murdery and are, you know, yeah. it's like yeah, your, your stabby part, <laughs> your stabby uh, part. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I could talk to you for like three more hours probably. And so we'll have to do more podcasts and more discussions. I want to talk about the Tibetan Buddhism and your work with your parts. And I'd love to learn more about the forgiveness facilitation process mm-hmm. that you used, because I, I think that that could be such a powerful tool like culturally yeah that we have right now there's so much damage in this culture of generations of oppression and hate and violence and uh i think a cultural forgiveness exercise um would be something that we would be well served from so um i appreciate you making the time to have this conversation i know how busy you are and i always very much enjoy it when we're able to connect and i think the audience got a great deal out of out of hearing your your story. I hope I know I did. So thank you so much. Thank you. And everybody can see everything below, but your website's there, your social media, everything else. If you want to find Dr. Keisha or her book or her online programs that are great or inquire about working with her uh, one-on-one, you can find all the links just below on the show notes. And this brings us to the end of today's episode. Head on over to rebelhealthtribe.com backslash kit to access the RHT Quick Start Bundle, which includes four full-length presentations from our RHT masterclasses, two downloadable PDF guides, and a 15% off coupon, which you can use in our retail shop. If you're on Facebook, come join our Rebel Health Tribe group over there. And finally, if you like the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon.